sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand. Stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang. Y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to another episode of the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on the co-founder of the Radiance Foundation. He is also an author and a writer for the Christian Post. And this is Ryan Bomberger. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here with you, man. No doubt, man. Ryan, I've done a brief intro there, but for those who are not familiar with you and your work, tell them a little bit about what it is that you do. Sure. My wife, Bethany, and I founded the Radiance Foundation about uh, 14 years ago, and we want to creatively illuminate that every human life, whether you're planned, unplanned, able or disabled, every human life has purpose, God-given purpose. And so I'm from a family of 15. This is why I'm particularly passionate about this. I have 12 siblings. I have six brothers, six sisters. Ten of us were adopted. I was adopted. I was the first one adopted and obviously went well. So every new year, there's a, a you know, a new flavor added to the family. We're white, black, Native American, Vietnamese, you know, able, disabled, just a mixture of kids. I'm an exceptions case. So when we talk about the issue of abortion, I'm the 1% that's used 100% of the time to justify abortion. Mm. So even though my birth mom experienced that horror and that violence, and I pray that she got the healing that she needed, but she was courageous enough not only to give me life, but gave me that incredible gift of adoption. And so today, my wife, Bethany, and I have four kiddos two of whom were also adopted. So that's kind of in a nutshell why, why I'm so passionate about defending the most basic right, life. Life is the first right. And then we address all these other culture-shaping issues in the context of God-given purpose. Man, that's that's powerful. So there's a whole lot that we can we can get into here. But tell me a little bit more about your tell me a little bit more about your your background in childhood. How old were you when you were were you adopted as a baby or yeah? yeah? Yeah, I was six weeks old when my parents first got to hold me. And it actually it was weird. I was reading my adoption papers recently. And, and on the adoption papers, it gave them a full year to return me. It was like a year-long <laughs> refund policy. I'm glad they didn't return me. But I was adopted actually on Juneteenth, which is significant for me for a lot of reasons. Actually, my book, Not Equal, was released on Juneteenth, and I found out that it actually coincided with the date that I was adopted. You know, I grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I grew up, obviously, in a big family. We had uh, lived in a farm, had one and a half bathrooms. Just let that sink in. I had six sisters, and we had one and a half bathrooms. Six sisters, six brothers. But, I, you know, we were we grew up loved. We grew up by you know, loved by two parents who didn't exactly know what they're getting into. And by the way, if, if you're going to, if, you, if you're a parent, you don't necessarily know what you're getting into. That's normal, whether they're biological or adopted. You know, I have two biological, two adopted, and I'm still trying to figure it all out. But I just thank God for two parents who, who loved us, who didn't listen to the naysayers, who didn't listen to people who were like, well, how are you going to love somebody who doesn't, who's not the same color? Mm -hmm. Who cares? I mean, I didn't realize love had those parameters. So I, I thank God my parents didn't listen to the naysayers. Um, they didn't listen to those who say, how are you going to raise somebody who's got physical disabilities? Mm -hmm. How are you going? What are you going to do when you come up against this or come up against that? You know what? You learn. You learn and you love. And that love for my parents unleashed purpose in our lives. I mean, you look at some of my siblings, all of us, pretty much all of us are from the foster care system. One of my sisters is from Vietnam. Um, so that's why when it comes to immigration, I have a very pointed view on that too. Mm -hmm. And I thank God for my sister and I thank God for each one of them because they make me who I am. But 
you know, you, we live in a day and age where people say, well, no one should ever experience, you know, in foster care. No one should ever experience any kind of trauma. I mean, everybody's always focused on trauma. Trauma, trauma should be a reference point. It's, it's, it's not a resting place. And so when I think of siblings in my family and, and some of the hard backgrounds they came from, none of us were better off dead. We're all better off loved. And so having grown up in that and having seen the trajectory of lives radically change because of two parents who poured themselves into us, that's why I'm such an advocate for actually pouring yourself out into somebody else's life so you can change their narrative. My parents changed our narratives. They loved mm -hmm. us like crazy. Um, you know, you get a Dr. Ibram X. Kendi, you know, author of How to Be Apparently a Racist, Anti-Racist. <laughs> but um, he calls people like my parents, and Henry and Andrew happened to be white, mm -hmm. calls them colonizers and says that they, um, they had a savior complex because he doesn't believe in savior theology, which is the essence of Christianity. There is no Christianity without it. But anyway, he calls them, you know, colonizers who have a savior complex. My parents didn't have a savior complex. They had a love reflex Something that Dr. Ibram X. Kendi and many other, you know, critical race theory and evangelists have no comprehension of. And so as someone who is white and black, my, my heart is let's bring reconciliation. Let's talk about let's talk about the deeper stuff. And having grown up being loved by by two parents who happen to be white, I dismiss this nonsense that somehow you have to be the same color. You have to be the same background to love somebody. Not at all. Yeah. You just need two parents who are, are willing to pour themselves and self-sacrifice. And my parents did. Do you know the first thing that's coming into, into my mind, and this is not even to go, go political or to use these labels off the bat, but I'm just listening and I'm like, isn't that the actual progressivism there? <laughs> it is. Right? I, I, I'm, listening to, I'm, li I'm listening to your parents' story about adopting all these children of right. different different backgrounds, different abilities, all of right. this. And I'm like, and, and then the people who are opposed to it. And I'm like, this is an inversion, right? right. So by proper definitions, it sounds like in the, in the true and proper sense of the word, your parents were the progressives in this right. situation and the people who right. are actually sort of taking a pretty rad, pretty radical actions to say, Hey, like, let's just reach out and using what we have. It doesn't sound like they, they came from a, you know, super wealthy or something like no. this. And they're the ones reaching out and saying, Hey, let's bring in all these different children from all these different places. Let's, let's give them opportunities. And then you've got uh, the people who are, you know, the critical race theorists who are the ones wanting to berate and attack people and essentially suggest if not outright say that some of these children some of these human beings would be better off dead right than being adopted say by a white couple let alone a white christian couple or something right. like that and it's such a it's such an obvious inversion to me that it, it sort of just strikes me as I don't know how they can sort of label themselves in the way that they do and even call themselves liberal and progressives and whatever. Right. Are you calling yourself a progressive and, you're, and you've got a problem with, uh, I don't know, you've got a problem with adoption or you've got a problem with uh, right. an in interracial relationship or you've got a problem with this and this. And right. I, I don't know. It's, that was just the thing straight off my head. But tell, tell me more about your parents because they sound like remarkable people. Yeah, they, they are. And 
it's amazing the labels people give to themselves. I mean, leftists love their euphemisms, but what is progressive about actually being regressive? I mean, they're trying to say that one, like even my wife, who's Greek and Italian, that we constantly get, I'm not black enough because I married a white woman. So I guess Frederick Douglass was not black enough because he married a white woman. His second wife was white. I mean, it's this nonsense that somehow says, oh, wait, wait, all the, this group of people, they're all the racist. But wait a minute, aren't you racist by saying that I can't love my wife because of the, the beautiful hue of her skin? I mean, it's so, I mean, all of our hues are beautiful. And that's what I learned growing up in this family. That's what mm -hmm. my parents imparted. Henry and Andrea Baumberger. Now I would say this, I kind of have to start off this way because my dad, the most amazing man that I've ever known, a man of integrity who was the same man at home as he was outside of the home was someone who just, he never stopped giving. I mean, my dad understood self-sacrifice. He understood unconditional love. I mean, here's a man who loved, you know, kids that other men abandoned. Mm -hmm. And so he never gave, gave up on that. My dad passed away during the height of COVID. And that was the most, that was the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, having my dad, you know, first of all, he was locked down because he was suffering from Parkinson's. Mm. And he, 12 years almost suffering from Parkinson's. But you know how the CDC had all these nursing homes lock people down. So he was locked down, lost insane amount of weight. And then, you know, they forced all the residents to get a COVID vaccine. And my dad died days later. So <sighs> losing my dad was, was the hardest thing I ever went through. But I will tell you the legacy that my dad left behind legacy of faith, hope, and love. And, and this is not a cliche that that's who my dad was. I know that a lot of people can't say that about their, their father, that, you know, he wasn't the same man at home as he was outside the home, that he wasn't loving that it, my dad really was. I was really blessed to have the dad that I had my mom. Oh my gosh. She's the reason why I love to write. My mom is just for me, she's just compassion personified. So is my dad. Um, she's the reason why uh, I, I've read a lot because she's the most avid reader I've ever known and what she would do on the farm. Like we would all have to go outside of the house and she would lock the door so she could have peace and quiet for a little bit. And she just would read. Well, she, she just passed on that passion of reading to me. And she's also the reason why I know so much about history, about, you know, all kinds of different people, particularly black American history. I feel like I, I knew more about black American history than my, my friends who grew up in black families at college. I'm just saying that there's, there's a part that you can learn. And I love that my mom imparted that to me. My parents just, my mom is still alive and kicking, by the way. She's still yeah. unleashing purpose. So yeah, yeah. Um, I cannot, I cannot thank my parents enough for instilling in me the faith that they instilled in me, the resilience. I mean, people always talk about grit. I'm like, try growing up on a farm. You, you learn quickly about <laughs> grit. They did not have a lot of money. My mom came from a broken home. She had an alcoholic father who emotionally and psychologically abused um, you know, her, her mom. In fact, my, my mom was placed in a children's home um, for, for one year. She, she, she was not abused by her dad. Her mom was abused by the dad. Um, by her father. But anyway, she was placed in children's home for a year. That's actually where she got the heart for adoption. It wasn't like my parents were on some crusade. She just wanted to be a mommy to those who didn't have one because she experienced that herself. Another reason why you can't look at somebody, see the hue of your skin and think you know a dang thing about them. You don't know unless you, unless you ask, unless you have a relationship, unless you engage in conversation. But all this assumption that we can possibly know people by the color of their skin, I think it's just smashed by by the experience that I had growing up, by the parents that I had, and 
we have a culture now that's so fixated by the hue of our skins, presuming to know, you know, everything about somebody you don't. Hmm. And so that's why as someone who's mixed with mixed kids, our identity is not in our skin color. I love it. And I don't want anybody to be colorblind, be colorful. You know, that's beautiful. These are beautiful hues of skin, Mm -hmm. but we cannot possibly know about somebody or possibly judge or assess them by their pigmentation. And that's, that was, you know, imparted to me by my parents growing up in a very diverse home. Amen. And my condolences on the loss of your father, man. That's uh, thank you. That sucks. Um, man, there are so many directions to (laughs) take this conversation. I mean, it's, it's remarkable because you know, obviously I know we, we, we share a lot of similar mindset and worldview, it seems like, with, with these issues. I mean, I myself grew up in Saudi Arabia in an extraordinarily diverse place from day one, from preschool, you know, just surrounded by people of different nationalities and skin colors and religious backgrounds and this and that it was like a big expat community in, right. in Saudi Arabia. And so through my whole life, the whole notion of the whole concept of like obsessing over people's race, quote unquote, or, or skin color or whatever, it, it's always been asinine to me since right. since childhood. It's the same with like my, my nieces and I've got nine nieces and nephews and it's asinine to all of them. Like they don't even get right. they don't even get the concept. You'd have to ex- explain it to them. Um, and it's so strange again because it seemed like i want to say in the sort of 90s maybe to early 2010s and maybe this is my personal experience and it's different for different people right but it did seem like we were kind of done with all this stuff right all all this all this nonsense that had existed for for centuries and you right. know all, all we know we all know the stories of history whether it's american history or it's british it's world history people judging each other based on all these immutable characteristics and all the genuine oppression and racism and brutality right. and even genocide that came with all of that and then it seemed like okay cool we're 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 over this right like people generally or it's over and it seems like in the past decade under the banner of so-called anti-racism a lot of these race essentialist viewpoints, which people may have had a hundred years ago, you know, back in 1923, where people actually, yeah, we do need to split the white people versus the people of color, and we should treat people differently. And we should just make all these assumptions based off of, you know, the first couple millimeters of our epidermis. All of that stuff, it's like, it's, it's now coming back in this, in this backwards way, and people are calling it progress. I mean, I was just on Piers Morgan very recently, and I was debating um, uh, a woman who was a Black Lives Matter activist. And at the very end of the thing, it was actually about the whole Tyree Nichols situation. And I, I, at the end of the conversation said, look, when we can have this conversation about police brutality, and the words black and white don't even come into the conversation, then I know that we're starting to make some headway. Right. And she got mad at me for uh, espousing colorblind views and was telling me off and telling me how disappointed she is that as a black man, I would recommend that people be colorblind and this and that. And I'm just like, how on earth is that considered the progressive position? It, it's, right. it's, it really strikes me because it just seems like a resurgence of a very old way of thinking. just framed in a very slightly, a very slightly different way. I mean, you're talking about these relationships, you're talking about flack you've had for marrying a 
a white woman, right? And <gasps> no. it, it, it's like, is, is this 1923? I know. Right? With, with anti-miscegenation, anti you know, the, ra the races must not mix and this kind of, right. and I'm just like, what is, what's going right. on? It just seems very backwards to me. Well, it is backwards. And, and who's carrying this? It's the leftists that are carrying this backwards worldview. I mean, the Black Lives Matter. I mean, Tyree Nichol, which is, that, that whole situation oh. is so tragic. What Black Lives Matter does, though, it lumps every single situation with black and brown lives as if it's all the same. And his situation, that's obviously not the same, especially you got five black cops who were fired, who were the perpetrators of the violence. It's not a anti-black sort of issue. It is a, an abuse of authority issue Yes, that happens among some law enforcement, not all law enforcement. Um, but they want to claim systemic racism. I'm like, but, but you're the ones supporting systemic racism. You're the ones saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's this group and they're white and they're always the oppressors. And you're this group and you're brown and you're black and you're always the oppressed, which I guess I'm mixed. So I'm half oppressed and half oppressor. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's so absurd because yeah. at the same time, critical race theory recognizes that race is a human construct and it's a destructive one at that, has mm. no basis in science. They still separate us by race and they can't stop themselves. And then they they applaud and, and laud themselves for this racist sort of rhetoric. I'm like, this is not progress. Yeah. I mean, look at corporations. I mean, are there more peaceful environments now or are they environments of fear? Because you don't know what you can say. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to think. It's insane. It brings in a spirit of fear and spirit of fear is never progress. Mm hmm. It's bondage. Yeah. I, I've started calling it the racism industrial complex. Yes, it really is. <laughs> it is. I think I think a big problem with it, particularly in the United States. I mean, I'm from the UK, and they sort of try to import some of it, but these land, these narratives don't land as as well in the UK, which is which is a good thing. Yes, but certainly here, all of these grievance complexes. I think a huge problem is is that it's just it's profitable. Right. There's still there's still some juice in 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 squeezing that right and there are people who've dedicated their entire lives whether they're some of the aforementioned authors or whether they're full-time activists or they're certain media personalities and they literally profit by keeping people at each other's throats and by inventing racism and inventing white supremacy and keeping all this stuff in people's heads right. even when it virtually does not exist in some cases right i mean if you're right. talking about I mean, someone, someone on Twitter, they was there talking to me about, about white supremacy. And I'm just like, what are you, like, what, what are you talking about? I mean, at, at, the, at its peak, the KKK had like 5 million members. Right. Which is scary, right? Like, that's right. scary to think that, holy crap. And that's actual members. That's not just people who support it. So that's crazy. But I'm like, it's, it's now 2023. I mean, maybe they've got like two, 3,000 members. I don't know the official count. But... <laughs> I mean, on your day, in your day-to-day -day life, in your lifetime, how many people who are genuine white supremacists, like true, true, right. sort of these vicious racist types, I mean, uh, this is not even in my top thousand, it's not my top thousand concerns. And I don't know, I don't know the way to get the, I don't know the way to get the money out of it. Um, maybe, I guess we live in this attention economy now. And right. sometimes I think the solution to a lot of the madness is to, and this is hard to do, but I think maybe collectively almost like just stop giving it so much energy and time and attention right. and anger because I think it kind of bounces back and forth. There's this reactionary game where, you know, something happens here and people get outraged on this side and then it just bounces back and forth. And I'm like, man, can we just 
can we just move past this and, and speak to each other like human beings and just stop with the, it's, it's just silly. And it's not, it's not helpful. It's, it's counterproductive. No, well, it's certainly productive for people like Dr. Ibram X. Kendi or Robin D'Angelo and all the, you know, the race pimps out there. I mean, back in the day, it was like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton who were constantly at the forefront of this whole, you know, I'm a perpetual victim. But it is such garbage, but it is extremely profitable. I mean, look at yeah. DEI. Well, actually, I like calling it DIE because it was first diversity, which <laughs> diversity is beautiful. And it's not just skin color, by the way, but diversity. Mm -hmm. Then it was inclusion. Then it was equity. They realized that the acronym spelled die, which is exactly what happens because there is a slow cultural death when you embrace this garbage of these. Now, well, now they also call it Jedi justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. I mean, oh, my oh, gosh. Wow. I haven't heard I, that one. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. But it's it. it it certainly profits, you know, people like the Dr. Kennedy's of the world who, I mean, what is he even talking about? What's this stuff? He's a millionaire because of his multiple New York Times bestselling books, mm -hmm. but he's out there just talking about how discrimination is okay. The way that you combat alleged racism is with actual racism. Mm -hmm. and, and this whole thing about the, the book, for me, it's the boogeyman of white supremacy, but you get, you get our news media that amplifies it. That you get a little, you know, five racist, whatever, tiki torch carrying whatever's, and they get all the attention. Social media amplifies it. This is not, uh, let me tell you, I was at a college, Wheaton College, which is an evangelical Christian college in, outside of Chicago, Illinois. And I was told by a group of minority students afterward, it came up, we had a 45 minute Q and A. And then afterward, a group of students came up and they started talking to me and, and there was a lot of crying and it was, it was interesting. But one of the things that happened, one of the students said, well, you know, I was afraid to go out of my house, outside of my house on Halloween because of the KKK. They, they, they put out flyers. I'm like, wait a minute. And this was 2019. I said, in 2019, you were scared of the KKK in Chicago? Like, what are you talking about? And they sent out pamphlets? I mean, <laughs> I said, the KKK is not a, it's not a force to be, to scare, to be scared of anymore. I mean, that was decades ago. I mean, there are far more, there are things that are far worse than the KKK in the black community. I mean, you got, you got violence, you got fatherlessness, you've got poor schools, failing schools. I mean, the list goes on and on, but the KKK, mm. that's not an issue facing us today. But this, this kid, I mean, literally was in tears saying how afraid he was to come outside of his home. There wow. is the delusion that there is this white supremacy thing out there. You know, like LeBron James, you know, he said in his tweet, white black men are literally hunted down every time they come outside of their home. Like, what are you, you're hunted down by paparazzi. What are you talking about? Yeah. It's this fear. It is, let's keep people in a constant state of fear and they'll embrace anything. Hmm. I, and it's, and that's any color. That's, that's not just the black community. That is anybody of any color, which is why you get these, you know, especially the white liberals who are constantly saying you're black and you're oppressed. And you need us. You need this. No, we don't. Hmm. We need the truth. Everybody needs the truth. Yeah, absolutely. And it's oh gosh, it's it's such a it's such a frustrating conversation. Not this one, but it, the thing is, it's not the thing that blows my mind about it is it's not. It's I'm just like this is really simple. Like it's not that complicated. Right. You know, right. like. I'm not the first person to say, hey, how about we, uh, you know, judge people based on their character and their behavior, <gasps> not rather than by their skin color. And that, again, that used to be considered just like a, I wouldn't even just say like a liberal position, just like a, a the decent, proper pos position, right? right? Like that was the the actual 
fairness and true equality before people started moving to equity. Um, and it was just like, cool, like this is, this is working. This makes sense. It's sort of self-evident to get away from all of that and just see people as individuals and treat them as such. And everything you're saying is totally making sense. And it's like, how is that, how have we gotten to this stage where that is now considered controversial or people are even afraid to say something like that because they're worried they might be called racist. Like, right, you saying that you should not judge people (laughs) based on their skin color or treat them differently based on it is now racism or even worse, that somehow means that you're supporting a white supremacist system. It's, It's just so, it's so goofy. I don't even know how, I mean, I guess the brainwashing in universities is powerful, oh, yeah. but like, I just don't know how millions of people have, have bought into certain things that are so clearly mistruths. It's, it's just right. like how you've now got people advocating that men can have menstruations and can get pregnant and women can have penises and testicles. Right. And all. I'm like, look, you, this is not, I'm, I'm like, this is not a political issue. No. No, logically, biologically, science. But these are the people who are like science, science, science. I'm like, bro, what if you if we want to talk science, how are you? There's nothing more. There's nothing more clear in, in the human species, in, in, in the male, in animal species. Right. Then there there's male and there's female and they're different. Both of them are needed. We're sexually yeah. dimorphic species. This is how every single person who exists in this planet was birthed from a female. We all we all have mothers. That's how it works. Right. And all of a sudden, again, in the past decade, nope, it's all up for debate. Zuby, stop being a bigot. You're being transphobic. Oh you're gosh. being this, you're being that. And I'm just like, dude, I'm, I'm not coming from any position of any type of animosity, let alone hatred or whatever right, people right. want to claim. I'm just saying that one plus one equals two. And yeah. that's it. I don't care, you know, left, right, up, down, whatever. That's just, that's just what it is. What we do with those facts, sure, people can debate what to do with them. Right. But I'm just saying, hey, that's the reality. Like, I have plenty of opinions, right? I have opinions that I can't just assert as facts. Right. But there are some things where when we can't even agree on reality itself, I think that's very concerning. Oh, it is. In fact, I'm going to do a shameless book plug. Can I do that? Do it. Please do. Because this is our latest book. My wife, Beth, and I wrote this. This is controversial, <laughs> people. If I get the direction right, she is she. How is that controversial? I mean, it's a beautifully illustrated children's book. Because my wife's, a, you know, she's a teacher by profession, and we're dealing. We live in Loudoun County, Virginia, where they're teaching boys that they can be girls and girls that they can be boys. You know, it says she is she, she is not he, she mm. is not we, she is she. This and she is she by the way. This is so insane that everything has gotten so surreal that we can't even talk about the basics. So when you talk about issues of race and racism, we can't even agree about the most core identity of who we are, male and female, um, that we have to lie to children and somehow tell them, okay, there are 96 genders or whatever it's up to right now. I mean, this is, this is such toxicity poured into young minds. I mean, here in Loudoun County, Virginia, you know, and this is a Marxist, Marxist tactic where you sever parent-child relationship because it's obviously Marxism wanted to abolish the family, wanted to abolish religion. Well, the way that you abolish family is that you make parents suspect. And you tell the, the students as they're telling them here in Loudoun County, keep pointing here because there's actually beyond our property, one of the, the, the large high schools, Woodgrove, um, they're teaching children that you should not trust your parents. Trust us. But yet what you're doing is 
you're leading kids into not just mental confusion, but into bodily mutilation. Mm. What? For solvable issues that, that most kids actually resolve in their minds, but now pumping this out. So this is why, I mean, speaking basic truths, you're going to be called a hater. And I, I got over that a long time ago when we started the Ratings Foundation. Oh, my gosh. I thought people are going to love me because they're going to love my story. <laughs> they're going to love the story of adoption. And they're, they're just going to love us. No. That didn't, yeah. I mean, some a lot of people do love us, but mainstream media, no, they hated us. The yeah. academic elites, they hated us. At Harvard, when I'm debating a professor who constantly told me how I didn't deserve to be born, that I should have been aborted, I mean, this is by those who just deny some basic truths, like the most fundamental right is life. Without life, nothing else matters. Um, when you talk about content of character, now you got you know, this whole BLM movement where content of character, character doesn't matter at all. Color is supreme. Hmm. And so that's why you get the kind of leaders that we get. <laughs> because, you know, character, integrity, none of that stuff matters. Truth, that doesn't matter. It's yeah. all relative, I guess. How much do you think that the decline of religion, Christianity specifically in the West and in the USA, is playing a role in all this because what seems to be happening to me uh, to some degree pretty self-evidently is that a lot of people are replacing traditional religion with what I would call secular religions or even cults in some places. I, right. I hesitate to even use that term because to me religion has a positive connotation, right. but there are certainly, they've certainly taken certain religious blueprints and gutted them of a lot of the important parts. And they've sort of laid out this framework and even have, you know, their own sort of scriptures and texts and dogma, which they're putting out to people, including right. children now. And anyone who goes against it is uh, a heretic, right? You right. know, it's, it's, it's blasphemy to say some of these things and so on. So do you think that that's part of what's at play? Do you think it's a lot of you know, godless people who are just grasping onto this new social justice, woke, you know, ideology, criti critical theories. That seems to be what's happening. Um, what do you think about that idea? Right. Well, these ideologies are supplanting traditional religion, certainly Christianity. Um, I mean, you've got critical race theory that sees Christianity as a form of oppression. So that's why it's it's very anti-Christianity. That's why, you know, Dr. Kendi talks about he doesn't support savior theology. He rejects that whole notion. Um, the rejection of Christianity is what's leading us to this bizarre um, humanist sort of ideology where everybody gets to create their own truth. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at it. It's no stronger in our world today than in the, you know, hashtag love is love. You cannot come against the religion of LGBTQ XYZ. You can, I mean, look at it. it was, we saw it in the Grammys where, I mean, literally just worshiping Satan. I mean, this is what's, this is what's happened when that void is created. You have to worship somebody. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's what's happening. If, I mean, in scripture talks about you, you serve one or two masters. So you, you can't serve God and the world. And so the world is like, well, for as long as we've existed, we have worshiped and worshiped ourselves. And that's never really worked out well. And we see where that progression is leading now to where you can't even say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Should a three or four or five year old get to decide what gender they are? I have four kids. 
I don't trust them with their food choices. I'm certainly not going to trust them with, oh, you know what? I don't need this healthy body part. I mean, this is insane. I mean, only with the the whole LGBT movement that somehow you're transphobic, homophobic, which is absurd. I'm not afraid of anybody who is is homosexual or is tra- who thinks that they're transsexual. I, I I'm not transgender. I don't I don't have any fear of it. I actually have a heart for people who are confused and whatever mm-hmm. that confusion may be. But it's the only religion where even doctors are bowing down to this. That somehow you have to accept the diagnosis of a minor of a child coming in saying i have this what other what other area can that exist can someone come in you know a 12 year old say you know what i've di- diagnosed myself i have skin cancer and i need you to treat me immediately for that mm-hmm. that would never fly but because it is this religion that has a dogma that you cannot defy at least according to mainstream media and corporate you know corporate america and our public schools and, and what do we see? We're seeing the aftermath. Look at all the detransitioners mm-hmm. who embrace the religion and they're devastated. Well, thankfully, they're on the way back to wholeness, but you can never, some of that, like Abigail Schreier says, is irreversible damage. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Did you see the situation with, um, speaking of uh, being forced to worship the religion, did you see the thing with um, the NHL player, it Philadelphia Flyers player? Was it? Yes. And he, he wouldn't bow. I mean, he's one of the rare ones. It's like even in the NBA, the one, the I think there was one player who wouldn't, you know, bow down to all things BLM. Mm-hmm. They are the they are the anomaly. The the one athlete who decides, um, I'm not doing this. Where's where's the courage from all these people who talk about how they're they're champions of justice and that they're on the cutting edge of this or that? They're all afraid. Yeah, it, it's just remarkable seeing the the progression the rapid progression from tolerance to acceptance to celebration to right. essentially forced conversion and forced compliance oh, i yes. mean they wanted there there were pundits who wanted by the way for those who who are listening um there was this nhl hockey player and they had a pride night before one of the games they had like a pride celebration thing where they were wearing um, NHL, the hockey jerseys with the rainbow flag, rainbow pride flag on them. And they had the rainbow tape on their hockey sticks. And one player, I want to say his last name was Povarov, Ivan Povarov, something like that. I might be saying his name wrong. And, uh, he's, you know, Russian background, Russian Orthodox Christian. And he just said, I don't, I, I don't want to do that. I'm not, I'm not participating. And some people wanted him benched. Some people were saying that his team should be fined a million dollars for this, that he's being hateful, that he's going against gay rights, that he's this, he's this, he's this. He literally just said that I do not want to participate in this. I mean, the guy, his job is a hockey player. Right. I mean, th- let's, let's think about this the other way around, right? I mean, if there was a team that, say, wanted to uh, celebrate, I don't know, it, Maybe they wanted to celebrate Easter or Christmas. Maybe a percentage of the team are are Christian or, you know, whatever. And they say, hey, we're going to have we want everyone to to wear a crucifix and we want to put rosary beads around our hockey sticks and skate around for an hour. And there's a player who, for any reason, religious or not, is just like, you know what, I don't want to I don't want to do that. And then people come down and want to attack that person. It's it's remarkable how, you know, these people will cry out and scream for liberty and freedom in certain ways, but are unwilling to be be tolerant or respectful of anyone else's 
right. beliefs. I mean, why should <laughs> it, 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 that, that thing really blew my mind because I was like, this is the height of intolerance. It's similar to the situation where you've got these, uh, is it Jack Phillips, the baker, and they keep going oh, back yeah. to, you know, these just trying to constantly just antagonize this man, trying to right. force him to bake uh, a cake with a gay message or a transgender cake or whatever, right. just literally persecuting the guy, right? right. Not, not, not even, it, it's so obvious and it's so interesting how the people who, you know, in the past maybe genuinely used to be some type of victim of society right. um, or perceived victims, and now they've just they've just become bullies. They've just become the bullies. They've become the people who are intolerant. Yep. They've become the people who are unwilling to accept anyone deviating from their worldview. And it's not enough to it's not enough to tolerate. It's not even enough right. to accept. It's like, yo, if you're not down at the pride flag, if you're not down at the pride right. march, marching alongside right. us and chanting and waving the rainbow flag, then you're a bigot. You're the enemy. You're all this. And it's like, it's it, I don't know. It's it's remarkable. It's such an overcorrection. It well. It is. And this is to me, this is fascism. I mean, you don't accept it. You don't abide by it. You don't conform to it. Then you're punished. You're you're fined. You're fired. You're imprisoned. I mean, I actually led the rally at the Supreme Court on behalf of the Radiance Foundation for Jack Phillips. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the third time this man is now going through this. I mean, for them to say, and I'm a creative professional. I used to work in the ad agency world. I, I love creating content that's fearless, factual, and freeing. And the thought that someone can force me to actually create a message that I don't agree with is insane to me, but yeah. that's exactly what the LGBT movement is demanding, that you have to create this. If you're a photographer, if you're a florist, if you're an artist, you have to create these things. It, it's it's so insane. And this is the, the fascism that they're claiming that the other side is all about. But yet, if you don't bow, you will lose your job. That's why it's scary here in the United States with the Equality Act. Now that Republicans are in charge of the House, we don't necessarily have to worry about that or then again, maybe we will, I don't know, but the Equality Act will actually force this. I mean, punishing you because you use the wrong pronoun? I mean, it's crazy. how in the world? I mean, force compelled speech. The Civil Rights Act of 64 didn't compel white people, for instance, to use certain language toward black people. And yeah. I wouldn't even have advocated for that because I believe in our First Amendment. I believe in free speech. I believe in the fact that the free speech can actually be abrasive speech. You may actually hate what I'm saying, but I have the right to say it and you have the right to say it, mm -hmm. but they don't want any of that. They want nothing to do with the first amendment. And that's, what's so scary. And so many people just, you know, believing this and, and falling for this. Like, oh, well, it's not inclusive. Inclusive. That, that's a root. And then that whole thing is just a charade. <laughs> I mean, because they're sometimes the most, as you mentioned, the bullying mm -hmm. sometimes, and I'm not even just talking about people who are, because there are plenty of people who actually are gay who are like, this is nonsense. This is yeah, crazy. Absolutely. It's the activists. It's now, especially corporate America, it's the news media that is pushing all of this on everyone else and saying, you've got to abide. And let me just kind of put it out this way. This is interesting to me because I see this everywhere I go. We're just in Florida, Sarasota, Florida. And you see this in a lot of places, Atlanta and major cities, these, you know, rainbow, co-opted rainbow crosswalks everywhere. Yeah. You see, everything has been rainbowized. The most brilliant marketing on the planet as someone who's, who's you know, a student of marketing and someone that made a living through that. Brilliant. But think of it this way. Only countries who've been conquered fly the flag mm -hmm. of those who've conquered it. And here we've got LGBT flags, LGBT colors everywhere. June, every corporation, it seems. I mean, many corporations change their colors. It's like we've been conquered. And here is the conquering force mm -hmm. 
it's everywhere. And yet, you know, it talks about love and yet doesn't really deliver the kind of love that we should all be extending to one another, loving our fellow human beings as a Christian, you know, loving one another with self sacrificial love. That's not the kind of love they're talking about, of course. No. And it, it truly is remarkable. Um, number one, because it, it's interesting how such a, such a tiny percentage of the population. And when I say tiny percentage, I'm not even just talking about um, people who are homosexual, because to me, there's a I think there's a big gap between gay people, like say the the typical or average gay person, man or woman, who's just, you know, that's the way that they're wired or the way that they swing, whatever it is. Um, and the LGBTQIA plus what, whatever it is now, the, the movement. There's a big right. difference between the movement and the activists and the ideology and all right. of the hype and intolerance and madness that comes with that. Right. And then there's actually a huge number. Every, every, I think almost every gay person I actually know is not a fan of all this stuff. They're just right. like, yo, I just want to be like left alone and not be attacked or discriminated against or whatever. Like that, that's all they're like, cool. Just, just treat me normally. Hey, I'm, I'm a normal person. Just treat me like a normal human being. That's it. I don't want any special privileges. I don't need to fly my, I don't need to fly this flag everywhere. I don't need to, you know, try to force this on anyone or bully anyone with this or this. That's, that's, I don't know the numbers, but I would imagine that that is probably a majority right. of those people. And then there's just this, the, the activists and the people who cling to it, who are not even, who are not even part of it. Like a lot of this is just being pushed by straight people who are jumping on, <laughs> jumping on a certain bandwagon. Right. And right. It, it's very odd. It's, it's such a, this is why I come back to that sort of God-shaped hole, like this, this uh, substitution hypothesis. Right of what has happened because I don't think that I don't think here's an here's an interesting idea and I've been thinking about this for a while um with all these thousands and in, millions of interactions I have and I don't think that um I think when people think of the concept of zealotry I think of I think most people think of it being um something that comes from a belief system or an ideology I don't think that's the case I think that zealotry is a personality trait and then different belief systems can run on that. So I think a lot of these like hyper woke, crazy activist people, I think some of these are the people who, you know, a century ago or a couple centuries ago, they would have been the hardcore, super aggressive Christian fundamentalists who want to burn people at the stake and are calling people witches and who are hyper. Like, I think they just have that personality trait. It's not, oh, it's the, it's not that people get that from religion or they get that from their politics or whatever. I think you just have people who are wired that way. And then you can kind of, you know, install a political ideology or install a woke ideology or install a, and they will be ride or die hyper tribalistic, hyper aggressive for whatever their cause is. And I think this is why also you get people who politically like they, they might like switch from left to right or right to left or whatever. And they, they go like full circle. It's not, it's like a full 180. Like they were hyper aggressive right. for right. that cause. And now they're hyper, hyper aggressive for that cause. And, and it's sort of the same behavioral pattern. It's just running, running a kind of different, a different script. So oftentimes people will say that, oh, you know, those religious people are, you know, hyper, you know, that person's a zealot or that person is this. And there are people of in different religions. There are, of course, people who are like, whoa, like they take it 
they take it they take it too far, right? And they're not even behaving in a way that's really in accordance yeah, with their religion. Right. Like they've totally exactly. forgot they've totally forgotten the love and the kindness part, and they're just you know just want to damn and condemn and attack other people, even other people who are of the same faith, but just not behaving in the way that they are. Right. And then you see this with like these woke people as well. That's why I call it a circular firing squad. You know, as soon as one of them steps out of line very slightly or is not as hardcore as whatever, there's always someone who's more zealous than that person who wants to take them out. So I don't know. That's like a that's an observation um, I'm having. Well, yeah. And, and I see that, too. And part of that comes from if you study the psychosocial mental health outcomes um, of for instance, kids who all of a sudden identify as gay or identify as transgender or whatever in that ever never ending acronym, that there are there are emotional and mental health issues oftentimes. So there could be something about the the personality trait, yes, toward that. But I also believe, you know, all of life is a spiritual thing, that there are there's a spiritual dimension to everything. And so what ends up happening is when there is a particular void that something has to fill that void, but there's also the conditioning. That's why we see these social contagions where all of a sudden, you know, groups of female friends all of a sudden are identifying as transgender. I mean, so part of that is an, an inculcation that's happening with these young people that is then setting them off. I, I've, I've seen actually in this area, some, you know, I'm not going to name names, but people that we know who, you know, had really mild mannered kids who all of a sudden have this garbage poured into them. And we have to remember the garbage is a lot of venom. It's a lot mm -hmm. of hate toward other people. It's not like, hey, I mean, they say love, um, you know, whether it's talking about critical race theory and talk about black joy. And I'm like, but there's so much toxicity poured in. And all of a sudden, some of these mild mannered kids mm -hmm. are all of a sudden some of the most radical activists. And so I, I believe it's a combination of, I do think, yes, it can be personality traits and someone can be swung from one end to the other. It's crazy. But a lot of it, I think too, is very much a, a spiritual sort of thing. And there is, there is this, this venom that's poured in that has to come out some way. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. And I see it, you know, that's why, you know, Facebook, Facebook was a great sort of invention, but it also, I have never been unfriended by so many people, you know, people in my past. I didn't, I don't care whether you're a different way I do, but I mean, I don't care. The point that, I mean, I do because I want to know how you're thinking through things, yeah. and how you're framing things, but I'm not going to unfriend you because of where you are in the political spectrum. Do you know what I mean? I, I've yeah. never in my life unfriended someone because they're a Democrat or because there's a hardcore this. I, I don't unfriend them. But Facebook and social media has really isolated us and separated us in so many ways that people are just, oh, you're this, I'm mm -hmm. going to write you off. And that's where these, these ideologies all of a sudden reign supreme. I'm like, well, what about the per – we had a relationship. We had a friendship. That doesn't matter anymore. I mean, I, I listened – my, my oldest daughter is going off to college next fall. And it's really unbelievable on these college campuses how – I mean, if you're if you're considered conservative, if you're considered Christian, oh my gosh, you are totally the ostracized individual. I, I hear these stories from from college students I speak to all the time in all these different campuses. I mean, I spoke at Harvard, Princeton, University of Notre Dame. Um, just really blessed to be able to speak on these college campuses that need more truth, not less. But to hear the stories of these students and how demonized they are mm -hmm. simply because of having a a Christian worldview, for instance. It's crazy. It's crazy. It crazy. 
Yeah, I got protested for the first time actually in November on a yes. campus. So that was way to uh, go. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Moving up in the world, that was yes. uh, it, it was an interesting experience. Do you think with a lot of this stuff, sometimes I just think, man, are people just, I think a lot of people are bored. And I think that life has become so easy in many ways oh, compared yeah. to what it was like in at other times in history and what it's right. like in other parts of the world. And it seems like the more successful, the, the, the more economically successful right. um, and the more genuinely fair a country becomes after some, you know, that in itself creates these new problems where you have all these sort of rebels without a cause or activists exactly. without a cause. Yep. And also, you know, we all know that struggle is an important part of the of the human experience and the human condition. And if you don't have a genuine struggle or a genuine burden or responsibility to take care of, you're going to invent one. Oh, um, yeah. And I'm seeing a lot of people who are just inventing oh full, full on just just manufacturing problems and situations right. to get mad at. And I don't know, I just think we've had it so so good for so long. And in a, in a strange way, that's the source of a lot of the problems. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay, first of all, I have, I have four kids who are ages 12, 14, 15, and 18. It is unbelievable to me as I, I don't always check in on their, their threads, but sometimes their, their iMessage threads come into my devices because I, for whatever reason, can't figure out how to stop them from coming in, but it's actually good <laughs> as a parent because I need to, yeah. parents need to understand what's going on. That's why my kids do not have social media except for my 18 year old finally got access to it because they, they would often ask me, well, what? Why don't we get to have you know? Why can't we have Snap? Why can't we have TikTok? I'm like, all these other kids do. I said, well, you know, their parents let them. I'm like, well, I love you, so um, <laughs> that's why you're not getting these right now because you're not emotionally ready. But it's unbelievable. I look at some of these iMessage threads, and it's like they're always trying to figure out which disorder they have. Mm. I'm like, you have nothing. But I mean, really, all talking about all these disorders they have. It's it's so insane that it is this aspiration to be a victim, mm -hmm. you know, and I just came from a, I just keynoted at a pregnancy center, community pregnancy clinics in Sarasota, Florida. And I was talking to a realtor and she was saying, it's gotten so crazy in her line of work that everyone's a victim that they have to change, you know, a lot of their vernacular, which is, she said, it's so crazy. I said, I know you, you can't say master bedroom anymore. She goes, Oh, that's not, a, that's not the only thing. Of course, now they have to call it an owner's bedroom, but weren't slave masters also owners? <laughs> so they call it an owner's bedroom. They cannot say that the house is within walking distance to, to anything because some people can't walk. I'm not kidding. They can't wow. say they can't say the kitchen has white cabinets. They have to say light colored cabinets. And I thought this is insane. Because wow. It's almost like we worship and adore victim false victimhood. <laughs> I thought, how can you even do this job? This is crazy. I, and that, that is, I feel like that's our culture. Maybe American culture is far worse than, than other nations, <laughs> but it is this celebration of this mm -hmm. faux victimhood. And it doesn't make us better people. It makes us suspicious. It makes us fearful. It makes us angry. And it results in movements like, you know, Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Where every, it's just... It's so heartbreaking. I mean, we have opportunities to serve others, to love others. And I feel like, one, social media consumes the time, so much of the precious time of, you know, these Gen Zers, especially. You could be out there actually serving somebody and actually serving somebody who's actually a victim. You know what I mean? <laughs> Instead of inventing different ways to be a victim. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. It's incredibly narcissistic. All, oh, all of it is narcissistic from 100%. people wanting to have their own genders and their own pronouns right. to wanting to self-diagnose and everyone's got their own sort of little issue and victim right. narrative. It's, uh, it's, it's incredibly weak. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I've, I've tweeted before once and it went viral. I said something like we've gone from we've gone from survival of the fittest to tyranny of the weakest. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That is brilliant. <laughs> Where it's just like, you know, the more offended you can be, the more yes. outraged, the more sensitive, whatever, you oh get this God. sort of the social clout from it. Right. But but it, I think one reason I think it's going to self-correct is that whilst you may get likes and retweets on social media, you might get social clout within these certain weird spheres. Right. When it comes to the real world these mentalities and ways of viewing things and operating are actually very detrimental. Yeah. It doesn't work, yeah. right? If you take that person who's got that full-time victim mentality and everyone's out to get me and I'm oppressed because of my race, my gender, my sexuality, my whatever it is that you right. that you imagine, um, if you have that mentality and then someone else does not and someone else has a victor mentality and knows, hey, like, you know, we're living in the most, in the most, uh, affluent time ever there's never been more opportunity i've got i can take advantage of this and this and no one's out to get me and actually people are generally good and they're going to help me if they see me helping myself and i don't care about your race your gender whatever i'll be friends with you i'll do business with you i'll make that that latter mindset is going to it already is crushing the former one and it will continue to right? right you've got you've got four children if you've got four kids who go go out you know they're they become adults and they're out there in the world knowing Right. that they you know they've just got this mindset of hey i can i can win and i'm gonna win and the world is gonna generally be good to me and people are gonna help me and i'm gonna make friends all across the board and i'm gonna i mean compare that to their peers who are being raised on all this victim stuff yeah and um i i don't that's part of what makes me kind of optimistic because i i don't think that uh you know some sometimes you kind of have to let things play out unfortunately um, I, I would prefer that people don't even go down that road and we don't right. brainwash millions of young people to have some of these attitudes and mentalities. Right. But I think, you know, you're, you're going to see all this play out in, you know, 20 years from now when all these oh. 10, 20 years, when all these people, individuals grow up and they're in their, I don't know, their 20s or their 30s. And I, I think you're going to see a huge, a huge split and a huge gap actually in terms of not just performance financially and in the in the job market and business and all that but also happiness happiness and well-being and actually how content people are with their lives and ability to pair bond and ability to actually just function as proper adults without being on 500 med- medications and oh. being confused and being angry all the time um People yeah. already talk about the the haves and the have nots. I, I think that gap is one of my predictions is that that gap on all these levels is actually right. going to quite significantly increase. And I don't think that's I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I, right. I think that's I think that's going to happen. There's going to be so many just broken people, just dysfunctional people out there. There already are. We're already starting to see them. Um, and then there's going to be people who are just crushing it just right. crushing it, taking advantage of the opportunities, using the technologies, not for destruction, but for construction, uh, helping people, being able to have audiences maybe of, right. I don't know, like I, even if I look at what I've done, I mean, 
I've got an audience on social media of almost 2 million people now across well, that, the world. That's not and, shabby. Yeah, but, 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 it's, a, but it's remarkable because with that same tool, right. other, there's other people just using that exact same tool that I have and using it purely for destruction, self-destruction, attacking other people, just fighting all day long, believing nonsense, right. wasting time, wasting energy, wasting money. Meanwhile, right. I'm like, hey, I'm going to take this tool. I'm going right. to take this mass communication tool that I'm going to build and build and I'm going to help people and I'm going to make products. I'm going to create art and I'm going to do this and I'm going to connect with people like yourself and I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to do videos, all of that. And it's like, it's the same technology. It's yeah. just, you're, you're choosing what you do with it. The, the technology itself is not quote unquote toxic. Um, right. There's toxic stuff on there. And I agree with you that you, you should probably be of a certain age and, and uh, maturity level I'm before you start. Yeah. Before you start using it. Um, but you can do so much good with it. If you look at the work you're doing, I mean, how, how did we even connect? How are we even having this conversation? How are we going to broadcast this conversation to thousands of people around the globe? It's that same technology that we could use for something destructive. Right. And think of that technology. It actually came from, shall I say it? <gasps> Capitalism, the evil of capitalism. That's why we talk about people crushing it. I'm like, yeah, because meritocracy matters. Mm. I mean, you don't become, you know, Fortune 500 company because, you know, everyone else is on the same level. No, it's because you compete. That's the beauty of actually taking the skills and abilities that you've been given and you fine tune them, you you feed them, you 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 know, fashion them and you go for it. But that's why equity to me is so disastrous. I'm like, wait, you, we don't have equal outcomes, nor do we want to have equal outcomes. We certainly want to have equal opportunity. But that's why, you know, I'm full on capitalism. I mean, even BLM, they obviously believe in capitalism. Oh, with yeah. The $160 million <laughs> they brought in in two years. I'm like, I don't, I didn't see them rejecting all the corporate massive donations they received. But there's, there's merit to that because we are, we are created to actually use what God's given us. Um, in, in all kinds of different ways. And it's amazing when you look at a, a culture that just says, well, no, everyone should be equal. Well, guess what? We don't try equally. Mm. And that's a fact. Now, I, I understand that some people come from like a number of my siblings, including mm -hmm. myself, from some really hard backgrounds. And they may have started off on a different foot. But you look at my family today and you look at the business owners in my family. You look at, you know, those who are involved in all kinds of community outreach. One of my brothers, a pastor. I mean, the, the list goes on and on to what they've been able to do with their life, positive good with their life, even though having a hard beginning. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to hear this whole mindset of somehow being a, a perpetual victim is something to hold as a virtue. Forget that mess. I just thank God that I had parents who poured into me and and talked about victory, um, believing that you can be a victor regardless of your circumstances. I used to work with in mentoring programs with young kids for years, years before we even started the Radiance Foundation and just pouring into them. I mean, honestly, the best way to, to actually see it, what might seem to be like a hopeless narrative and, and turn that around is pour yourself into the life of a younger person as a mentor. You know, there are like all kinds of mentoring programs, even father fatherhood mentoring programs. But when you put yourself into somebody else's life, when you pour into them and you actually see you will see their trajectory change. Man, that's the best way to have a very positive outlook instead of this whole gloom, doom and despair mm -hmm. that we're fed 24 seven. I, I reject that nonsense because I've been able to rise above 
Many of my siblings have risen above. Most of them have risen above. And I have seen countless others, my colleagues, my friends, come out of some of the worst situations. So I, I reject this, this mindset that somehow, you know, being a victim is something to, like, I don't know, a badge to wear proudly. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. Victor. I'm a victor. Yes. Yeah, and it also does an injustice to people who are, you know, genuinely victims of certain circumstances. Exactly. At times. That's exactly. the thing. That's why it's even more frustrating when you have individuals who, you know, by their own definitions or by any proper definition are genuinely privileged in many ways. Right. And they're still latching onto and propagating those types of narratives. I mean, LeBron James is a billionaire. The idea that LeBron James is afraid to come out of his mansion oh because he's afraid that he's going to get up. I'm just like, bro, what? stop, stop. Yes, please. It's just like it, 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 it rubs me even more the wrong way, right? If someone right. is going to say that narrative, it's like at least, at least like be, I don't know, in some super rough inner city neighborhood and whatever. But I'm just like, bro, you're, you're a billionaire. I'm not interested in sitting and listening to Meghan Markle or Michelle Obama oh or Oprah Winfrey sit there and, you know, lecture me about how hard it is to be black. I'm just like, I'm like, stop. This is, this is, this is so silly. It's so silly. I don't even know how people have time for it. You know, there are, there are genuine, there are, there are people in this world and who people at various times are genuine victims of right. certain certain situations, right? right. That, that's a real thing. Um, but to kind of, I don't know, appropriate, to, to use their, their, their words, to sort of appropriate that term and just be like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I've got all these things going for me. I have all of these, I'm coming from this very fortunate position, but right. you know what? I'm a total victim of society and the world is out to get me and not just out to get me, they're out to get you too. And they're sort of propagating this narrative. And it's I think it is making some people think, oh, wow, well, if even that person who has achieved so much, if even they're victims of this type of oppression, then you know, what kind of, what kind of chance do I have as just right. an average normal person? And it's it's just such a false narrative and i think that if you're going to i have a general idea rule which is that if you're going to believe something that you cannot absolutely empirically prove 100 percent to be true right at least let it be something that empowers you and makes your life better <laughs> i like that right if yeah like yeah. if you're going if you know there's there's plenty of belief systems or ideas or things that you know we cannot one million percent prove to be true. But if you're, if you're going to believe that at least, I don't know, you could say, say, say the concept that, you know, everything happens for a reason, right? I don't know if that is, you know, true per se in a sort of hard empirical sense, but someone having that a belief, maybe that helps them because it's easier for that. It helps them to get over bad situations or to deal with loss or whatever. So it's like, okay, well, I don't know, like, I guess that, you know, it's an, it's a more empowering belief, or maybe you believe that, uh, you're capable of doing any, every, you're capable of doing everything. I mean, right. you're kind of technically not, but if you were to believe right. that, right, it's a much, it's a much healthier belief than, oh, I'm not capable of doing anything and the world is all out to get me, right? right. Neither right. of them is true per se, but the former is going to lead to a lot more success and become, they'll, they'll both become self-fulfilling prophecies to some degree. So why not go with the narrative that's at least more, more empowering? and has a better, more positive story. Oh, oh definitely. I mean, and I'm, as a Christian, you know, I'm firmly believe in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it, I mean, we see these peer reviewed studies of those who actually, 
people of faith, they are happier. They live longer. I mean, on so many different measures, they are better off. There is a reason for that. But all this nihilism that we're fed constantly um, by those who, who want to this, this whole, you know, this whole going back to the whole victimhood. It's it's so disempowering. I work with so many young people, and when you hear LeBron James or Colin Kaepernick talk about how how much he's suffering, I'm like, oh, you're suffering so much from the multi million dollar Nike contract. And and what ticks me off though too with these these two athletes in particular is they won't say anything about the actual oppression um, yeah. from you know the sweatshops that make their products. I mean, Colin Kaepernick and LeBron aren't talking about you know China. Nope. In fact, I mean, this is this is what's this is why it should really illuminate to people what a fraud all of this is. I mean, there's they, they want to acknowledge the massive change that's happened in American society. I mean, there, it's not to say that there aren't, act, you know, that racism doesn't exist. Of course, it still exists. But we have to distinguish between systemic and specific. Mm-hmm. There are specific instances of racism. But, you know, people like Colin say it's all systemic. It's everywhere. And he's half white and half black like I am. He was adopted by white parents like I am. Mm -hmm. But somehow he is this victim. And it's so disempowering to these young people who actually need to hear hope, who actually need to. And and they're seeing it played out, but it's being contradicted by, no, you need to fear Mm 24-7. I hate that. It's such a lie. I mean, this... You know, I'm a little partial to America. I mean, but there are so many. You you can succeed if you try. I mean, the, the poorest of the poor, the richest of the rich, it's really remarkable what can happen here. And I can rattle off story after story after story. I mean, if Madam C.J. Walker can become a millionaire during times of slavery and she's a black woman, come on. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't buy the the narrative that they're, they're selling, but the tragic thing is there are still way too many who are buying it. Yeah, I, I think people would do would do well to more watch what such people actually do and see how they've achieved their success, right. rather than really sort of listen to them <laughs> per se. And right, I, right. I, I I feel the same. You know, I'm I'm a rapper, and I often feel the same with hip hop music. Right, with with a lot of rappers and. I think if you, I, I get asked a lot, you know, do you think, you know, rappers are good role models or do you think that they're positive role models and this and this? And I think that if you listen to what a lot of rap, especially, you know, gangster rappers or whatever, the the sort of surface level messaging is largely negative and destructive and, you know, sometimes violent and this and this, right? But the meta narrative of their stories, like if you actually look into their backgrounds and see how they achieved their success and look at the entrepreneurial moves that they're making and see how they've really come from from nothing to something. I mean, I'm like, that part is a fantastic thing to model, right? You, you've got some of these guys who literally, they were they were gangbangers or they were dealing drugs right. or they just came from these really rough neighborhoods and now they're multimillionaires and they got clothing lines and they're running companies and they're doing real estate and all this. I'm like, man, right. like the lyrics, let, let, let the lyrics kind of wash over you, but actually like watch what they're doing, right? How much how much grind has LeBron James put into becoming one of the best basketball players right. of all time, right? All this stuff you don't even see on the TV, like for every hour of basketball you watch on TV, do you know how many hundreds right. or th- thousands of hours of practice and gym sessions and grind and deter? Like, I, I don't even know LeBron's whole story, but he must have had to overcome so, so, so much stuff. Right. And I wish that 
you know, it would be so cool if that message was, you know, I know, I know he doesn't like only just play the victim card, but I wish that that part of the message got way more shine right. than, you know, the, the victim peddling stuff, because with, with, with many of these situations that, you know, there's two, there's two different, ang there's different angles you could look at it from, right. right? So you can look at it from the sort of negative perspective and just see all of that, or you could actually take the same story and flip it into something very positive, right? Your own story, like if you wanted to be some like woke BLM activist or whatever, you've, you've, you've kind of got the story and background that you could use to play all these different grievance cards and to just right. be angry all the time and be ranting and raving and blaming this. Like you, you could do it. You see right. what I mean? Like you could take your own story and flip it and use it as a way, right. or you could take it and flip it and use it for something yeah. like in a very positive, constructive, inspiring motivational message you know like right. look like this is what i'm doing this is where i've come from this and this and ah, i just i just wish i wish more i wish more people regardless of their background would opt for that type of messaging yeah. rather than the boohoo poor me sob story i'm a victim and you're a victim and we're all victims and everything is messed up and we should all be against each other and everyone's against you. And, right. you know, you're living in this white man's world of white supremacy and the patriarchy is out to get you and institutional and systemic and structural barriers. Right. And, and I'm just like, man, I stop, know. stop. <laughs> and, and, and look at the patriarchy part. I mean, now you've got LGBT <laughs> patriarchy. You've got guys literally taking over women's sports. I mean, that's actual patriarchy. But yeah, the whole reason for all of that is it actually takes the locus of control outside of yourself. Mm. And so that's like one of our one of the um, sessions that we teach through the Radiance Foundation, which is Radiance.life, by the way, um, in these multimedia presentations that we deliver. One of them is called self-control versus remote control. And it's when all these things are out there, you basically are telling a teenager, especially, that you can't control these circumstances. So it's always outside of your control. So if you don't have self-control and whatever that means, that doesn't mean just in sex. It means in actually having self-control to have the discipline when it comes to school, when it comes to sports, when it comes to a talent, a hobby, whatever, having that self-control. Because when you don't have self-control, you will be remotely controlled. Hmm. And that's really what all this is about. It is about controlling people, controlling their language, controlling their actions, controlling you know, their behaviors. That's what this is about. And it's easy to do that with an environment of fear. And that's why I speak against this, this nonsense. There are so many inspirational stories. Oh my gosh. I love seeing, that's why, that's why when we see the human spirit triumph in movies, that's why we're like, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, we love seeing the underdog, you know, overcome, but yet so much of the messaging in our culture is so contrary to that. And so I'm going to keep on speaking to young people and to old people and those of us in between and just keep letting them know, look, here are the, the seemingly impossible situations. And here's where they were able to get to because of their hard work, because of their faith, because of mm -hmm. their love. And I, that's just who I am. I could have gone that other route, by the way. I, yeah. I was close to that. Like in college, I started adopting this anger and this bitterness mm -hmm. from experiences that weren't mine. And I could have easily have gone that route, yeah. but I thank God that I had parents who kept me, kept me on track and good friends who kept me on track because now all that can be focused toward, you know, elevating people. And that's really my, that's my heart. That's my desire. I love that, Ryan. And I love your, I love your testimony. I love the work that you're doing. And uh, where can people find and follow you online? 
Well, um, not so much on social media. I've been suppressed so much, but um, go to radiance.life. That's the best way to see our content, our videos, our graphics, our infographics, our weekly op-eds. We just love creating tools to help you engage in these conversations. We can't be quiet. We can't be silent about these things. So radiance.life is the best way to get to us. Awesome. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, and I've loved this conversation. Yeah, thanks so much, Zuby. Appreciate it.